Fear is always going to be an obstacle or appear like it is an obstacle when you have a dream that is big enough. The key is to, is to recognize that the fear is not an obstacle. It's our brain interpreting as a, it is an obstacle, but that the fear is a challenger. It's showing us a signal for opportunity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Flow Over Fear podcast, where it is our mission to help you to rise above fear and realize your ultimate potential in leadership and life. I'm your host, Adam Hill, and it is my goal to share with you the human side of high performance. My guests share their experience with fear, anxiety, struggle, challenge, and most importantly, despite all of it, how they rose above it to achieve incredible results. So if you're ready to rise up, let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Flow Over Fear and this episode of Three Things. And today I want to talk about kind of the root nature of this show, which is Flow Over Fear. And the very name of the show implies that flow is the result of rising above fear. And the reason that is, is because I believe that it is. And what I'm finding from all of these interviews and all of these episodes that I'm doing is that truly flow is the result of rising above fear. And so I want to share some simple rules and some simple steps on how to turn fear into flow so that you can continue to grow your comfort zone, to continue to, to expand your, uh, your fear proximity or whatever you want to call it so that you can, you know, continue to grow. It's been a valuable insight into my own life because, uh, throughout the first three decades of my life, I just lived in that fear. I lived on the lower end of the scale of the sign behind here. I didn't really participate in the flow part very much. And, and, you know, there were some areas where I was, was experiencing flow, but as I continued to, uh, as I continued to experience and think of fear as an obstacle, I learned that I gained less and less flow in my life. And, you know, when I grew up, I played the cello and I played it really well. And this was one of the areas where I did actually experience flow for many, many years of my life. I just kind of played in the last chair of cello. And, um, uh, and I did it because I thought it was something I had to do. Like, you know, you, you see that a lot of times is, is there's probably about 10% of kids that play in orchestras or bands that are carrying their instruments with pride and enjoyment and, and thrill. And then there's about uh, 90% and I'm making these numbers up. So don't go and, uh, in the all, all comments ragey on me on this, but. 90% of kids are just kind of begrudgingly carrying their instruments like, oh, this is lame. So I was one of those 90% kids for, you know, but up until I was probably a freshman in high school. Freshman in high school, I remembered seeing the first chair cellist in our high school who was amazing. He was incredible. He had made it to the all national high school orchestra. And it was incredible just seeing what this guy did. And it was that first instinct, that first kind of oh shit moment that I talk about where I saw something that I, I, I wanted to achieve and I felt like, you know, it was scary, but it was achievable and I wanted to do it. And so all that summer, I, I, I did everything I could to, to, you know, get better at the cello. I, I, you know, we got a new, 
music teacher. I got a new instrument. I, I went all in. I started practicing every day for like three hours. My obsessive nature kicked in. By my sophomore year, I was in the first chair. I was making it to the All Southern California Youth uh, String Honor Orchestra. Then I made it to All State. And then I, I got into all of these great orchestras and I was just found this flow in this music and I loved it. And in high school, it was just these defining moments of doing something really well and, and enjoying it and finding that I had some passion in something. And then I achieved my big goal, which was I wanted to, I wanted it to help me get into college because I knew my grades weren't that great. Like, I mean, I, I was in the higher end of the 3.0s or 3.8 or something like that, but I wasn't you know, an honors student and, um, and, but, and I certainly wasn't an athlete that it's not like I was going to be getting a baseball or scholarship or anything like that. Um, but I was good enough at the, at cello to, to get a scholarship, uh, to college. And I got a scholarship to the university of California in Santa Barbara. And if you've never heard of the University of California in Santa Barbara, as you can imagine, if you've ever heard of Santa Barbara, you can imagine that this is the most beautiful school on the planet. It sits right on the Pacific Ocean, one of the most pristine areas of the California coastline. It's just gorgeous. And, um, you know, before I started there, I was just so excited to go and so overjoyed with this music scholarship and everything like that. But what I didn't realize is that when I was going to go there, it would become an absolute hell for me. And the reason being is because when I started there, I knew that now that I had achieved something, I'd achieved a dream of getting into college with a college, with a cello scholarship and a music scholarship. I was on my way and many people would, would be thrilled to have achieved something like that. And they would want to keep pushing into it. But my brain was telling me something. My brain was starting to leaned a little bit more into that fear at that time. And instead of continuing to flow into that, what my brain was telling me was that there's no career in music. Everything I've been told growing up by society and by the norms was that, that very, very few people make it in the music world. And there's no way you can be a musician and pay your bills. I remember, you know, having a, a, a guitar teacher at one time and, 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 you know, he was struggling for money and, and it was just so frightening to me to think that that would be one day be, you know, me. And that prevented me from, you know, from thinking that I could make a living out of music. So it caused me to kind of snowball my thoughts. My thoughts were snowballing into these ideas of like, well, what am I doing with spending all this money trying to become a cellist? What, uh, what if I can't make it? What if I... What if I'm not good enough? What if I can't do that? And then a few months into that cello scholarship, I quit. I stopped playing the cello. And I went on to try to pursue something else that I thought was I was more passionate about, which was marine biology. And really the only reason that I wanted to pursue marine biology is because I just wanted something to connect me more to the ocean, to be to which you know, really you could do you could also be a musician and be next to the ocean. I don't know what, where my logic was there. But I stopped doing something that I loved. And, and, you know, even over time, even over the next couple of years, I stopped playing in the college band that I was in because, you know, it just, it, it didn't feel like there was a future there. But what I missed was that 
You know, there's opportunities in everything if we chase our passions, if we chase our dreams. And it's not about, you know, making a living is, 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 is part of it, but it needs, it needs to be secondary to being fulfilled because being fulfilled and, and, and earning a living, that's, you know, that's, that's, we need to follow that passion. Otherwise we fall into this, this just horrible pit of despair and fear and anxiety and all of that stuff. And of course, that's what happened to me is I lost direction. I didn't have any time I had some kind of goal or anything like that. It would be, you know, it, 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 it would be, I would be overcome by fear. And so I wouldn't want to pursue it. So I ended up quote unquote settling for a psychology degree, which, you know, to me wasn't, you know, that there's no settling in, in, in that regard. It's still hard, a lot of hard work to graduate from, from college, but it wasn't something I was passionate about. It was just, it happened to be with the kinds of credits that I had and that then where I was the path of least resistance because I couldn't compete or I was telling myself that I couldn't compete with pre-med students or, or other things like that. In reality, I was just drinking a lot and I was, um, I was overwhelmed with anxiety. And so I felt like I couldn't compete, but I just wasn't able to put the effort in. So it took me years to really regain that confidence again in my, in myself. Uh, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but giving up on that goal or, or not, or, or not believing in myself enough to pursue that goal of being a musician, of being a cellist, of, of, you know, becoming something there. Um, it led, you know, it was kind of a tipping point into that, 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 uh, um, that dark time, that uh, downward spiral. And, uh, and, and anxiety just really took over panic, overwhelm, all that stuff took over. And it wasn't until I, I got sober again and had a year of sobriety that I, that I actually started pursuing something again. I started pursuing, um, Ironman triathlon and I, I was starting to believe in myself again, up to the point where, you know, today I totally recognize that, that there's nothing that is outside of our capability if we believe in ourselves enough and we find enough passion and fulfillment in it. And so I realized today that that fear that I was feeling was not, it, it, it was not telling me that I, that there was danger or that I shouldn't pursue it because there was no living in it. Those were just, those were just the, the, the sense I was trying to make out of it with my brain. But what, what it was really telling me is that there, there was opportunity there, that that was, that I was following a passion. It was one of those first triggers in, in, in identifying something that was really, really key to me. I mean, you look at where I came from in that world of, of music. I went from freshman year being last chair cellist to just working really hard and really diligently and becoming first chair the very next year to becoming, uh, you know, to getting a college scholarship to a University of California school where I could be on track to becoming a musician. Um, you know, I'm not saying I could have been the Avid Brothers cellist, but I'm just, you know, kind of just implying it maybe a little bit. I'm kidding. I kid. Um, I love the Avia brothers and I love their cellist, but there's, but that's this really, I want, I wanted to tell that story to illustrate, you know, that they're the way we look at fear, the way we 
react and respond to fear. The way we interpret it and internalize it can guide us if we're going to go into a pit of despair, even in the most beautiful place in the world, the most beautiful college campus in the world. It could be absolute hell for us, or it could push us in the direction of flow. And I want to share just three simple, three simple steps to turn that fear into flow from what I've realized. And, and, and it all comes from how my, uh, you know, how, how it's related to the story that I just told of my own life, of what it was. And those three simple rules are identify, pursue, and push. And so I'm going to go into each one of those. So uh, identify, pursue, and push. So it's IPP. You down with IPP? Yep. You know me. All right. So the first one is identify. Um, and this is where you need to get clarity or identify your dream. Identify what you want to pursue. You notice that when I had this clarity in my mind when I was in high school and playing the cello and I was being disciplined about it and super focused and I was in the flow, how clear I was on what I wanted to achieve. I wanted to get into college with the cello. I wanted to become something. It was, it was, it was something I enjoyed. I wanted to become a cellist. And then when it started getting real when I was in college, I, I quit because I didn't think that I could make a living off of it. And at that very point, I lost clarity. I lost direction. I didn't know what I wanted, but yet here I was in this school, in this place that was supposed to teach me something. And I didn't know what I wanted to get from it. And I didn't know what I wanted to be. And I didn't think I could do what I wanted to do. And so I felt, I started to feel a lot of shame because I didn't really identify or know what I wanted to be with that passion. And that shame came from the fact, well, what am I doing here? What am I, what am, what am I spending all my parents' money for? What am, you know, um, you know, all of this time to get into this school and I, and I feel ashamed of myself for not knowing what I want to do. And shame is never that productive emotion. Shame can lead to a lot of despair and, you know, for me, it led me down the path of alcoholism and drinking. So that's the, f- the first rule is really to identify, get clarity on what that goal is. And don't let, and don't let fear be an obstacle in that case. You know, f- uh, fear is always going to present itself as an obstacle if you have a dream that is big enough. That is true. Fear is always going to be an obstacle or appear like it is an obstacle when you have a dream that is big enough. The key is to, is to recognize that the fear is not an obstacle. It's our brain interpreting as a, it is an obstacle, but that the fear is a challenger. It's showing us a signal for opportunity that we have an opportunity to pursue something. So at that moment, when I was, when I was thinking to myself that, well, you can't make a living off of, off of playing music. I could have reframed that and said, that's fear challenging me. So now I can take the next step. And what I really missed there was an opportunity because what was presenting it to me was this, oh shit moment. And 
And this is something, <clears throat> this is the key, uh, this is the key thing you want to look for within that identity or identify phase where you're, where you want to identify that dream, that clarity, that, that clear purpose, that clear thing that you want to pursue is the way that you find that is through an oh shit moment. Now there are two types of oh shit moments. There, there's the oh shit moment where you know you're you're legitimately afraid where you are running by a cave and you see a bear and it's cubs there. That's alerting you to danger, not opportunity. So that is an oh shit moment. But there's also an oh shit moment. One where that fear pops up in you, where you experience that fear, but you also have this sense of excitement around that thing where something excites you to the tune of like, I really want to do that. I'm really excited about that. I really want to pursue that thing. And then fear pops up and says, nah, you know, you can't. And that's the, oh shit moment. That's where fear is challenging you because fear needs to be there. Because if fear wasn't there, everybody would just be able to easily chase their dreams. There wouldn't be any, any uh, uh, sort of resistance whatsoever. So there'd be no growth. That fear is there to be the challenger, to help you to experience growth. So it is a friend, even though we think of it as a foe or an adversary or an obstacle, it's really not. It's there to fuel us. It's there to signal to us, hey, you're onto something. You better look at that and you better try and go after that. That's your moment. That's your signal that you're onto something. Identify that oh shit moment. And then the second part, the second uh, step to turning that fear into flow is to pursue it. Now, this is where we get into that trap of pursuing that goal at 110% because we're super excited about it. We want to push as hard as we can, as fast as we can, because you know what? At the beginning stages of it, we're making a lot of progress and we're making, and we're getting a lot of positive reinforcement from giving our all, all of the time. But you know what happens when that when when we do that when we give our all all of the time, we burn out, we fall apart, we 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 get into that anxious phase. Anxiety gets the best of us. We start to have panic attacks. That's where that's that's what we need to avoid. So in order to contest that, we don't pursue the we don't pursue our oh shit moment with hundred and ten percent. We don't pursue that, that, that dream of becoming a professional musician at 110% all the time to stay engaged, to stay disciplined, to stay consistent and to grow your efforts. You give 80%, 80%. That gives you the capacity to rest, to recover, to step away from it, to keep enjoying it. Have you ever, I don't care what you do. It could be the funnest activity on the planet, the greatest activity on the planet. Um, let's say it's like, uh, uh, cheesecake paintball where you get to eat the paintballs and they're made of cheesecake. That sounds like the funnest event on earth, by the way, people shooting cheesecake paintballs at you and you get to eat them. If you don't like cheesecake too bad, you're not invited. But if you love cheesecake, this is like the greatest event ever, because now you get to like peel the, peel the, the cheesecake balls off, uh, off of you and start eating them. And then you're just, but even that, even if you do, even if you do something as, as amazing as cheesecake paintball, um, even that will get overwhelming at, at a time. You'll start to get full. You'll be like, okay, enough is enough with the cheesecake. And, and you'll, and you'll, you'll, you'll get tired of getting pelted with those cheesecake balls. You have to give yourself that break, that capacity to take a rest, to take a break, 
and allow yourself to do it. If I, <clears throat> I was, you know, I was playing the cello about at my peak at about two hours a day, which is a lot, but that was my manageable um, amount. I didn't really have much of a social life back then. So I could, I could, I could handle that. Um, but that was enough that I wasn't burning out on it, that I wasn't getting overwhelmed on it. Um, but we tend to, when we're first excited about something, really push ourselves to our limit because that's what we think we need to do in order to succeed. And the result is burnout. But when we give 80%, we give ourselves the capacity to grow gradually. We actually build our energy instead of depleting it. We give ourselves more capacity instead of using it all up. We're actually creating a more powerful engine for ourselves when we give 80% instead of 110%. So that when 110% is required, when you need to give that, you can give it when you need to. But your 80%, when you give 80% consistently, your 80% gradually becomes everyone else's 110%. Now, this is counterintuitive. So, um, so I know there's a lot of people saying, yeah, but that's, that sounds simple, but how do I, you know, why, why would I want to do that? Um, yeah, it's counterintuitive. It's, it's, it's almost as, it's almost more difficult to slow down or to stop yourself when you get to a certain limit, but, you have to be disciplined about it. That's where discipline comes in. Discipline is not about giving your all all of the time and, and continuing to push as hard as you can. That's called willpower. And willpower doesn't last. But discipline is also the ability to say when enough is enough and then to stop it and get the rest you need so that you can continue to build your capacity. Implement discipline in your life not willpower. Willpower is not sustainable. So give 80%, pursue it at 80%. And then the final piece of that IPP, that identify, pursue, and push, is push. And when I say push here, it is not, you know, give a, give a huge like push, but what it means is it, it means nudge just a bit past your comfort zone. And I always like to promote giving 5% beyond your comfort zone. Just 5% beyond your comfort zone is where you can expand your comfort zone without being overwhelmed with fear. This too, a lot of times, you know, prevents us from, from thinking that we, uh, uh, from, from believing that we can achieve something because we tend to get overwhelmed by the enormity of our goals that we fail to see just that step right in front of us. But instinctively, we know we just have to take a step at a time, but our brains immediately go to what's the big goal. When I was playing cello in my freshman year of college, just at the beginning of my college education, I wasn't looking at the next step, which was maybe learning the Dvorak cello concerto. I was looking at the end goal of trying to make a living doing it. That was off into the future instead of focusing on the next 5% right in front of me. I focused, I was too attentive to what the big goal was that I lost sight of just the step I needed to take in front of me. That's what I mean by push. At any given time, you want to push yourself just 5% beyond your comfort zone, not 100%, not 1,000%, just 5%. If you're afraid of heights, do you immediately jump into a plane and go skydiving? Probably not. I know I'm not. 
In fact, I never really want to go skydiving, so I'm not even pushing that goal. But, but you probably, if you're afraid of heights and you do want to get over that goal, you instead might just climb up a few steps on the ladder, get comfortable with that first. And then you might start to do some bouldering or something at a local gym, get comfortable with that. And then you start to gradually build that comfort zone. You expand that comfort zone so that, you know, 5% at a time, so that by, you know, at whatever point in the future, the next 5% staring you in the face is, you know, the outside of a plane with 10,000 feet of air between you and the ground. That's how you expand your comfort zone. That's how you build courage, 5% at a time. So those are, those are really the, the ideas on, on how you can start to turn that fear into flow. If you incorporate all of those activities, you're starting to practice, you know, you're starting to pursue your dreams, which may seem bigger than life right now, but you're pursuing them with greater flow because you're able to maintain consistency, giving 80% at a time. You're able to expand your comfort zone and, and accomplish more every single week because you're pushing just 5% at a time. And you're, you're gradually working toward that thing, that, that dream that gave you that oh shit moment, that epiphany many months or many years prior. What is your oh shit moment? What do you need to pursue just at 80% effort, 5% at a time? And if you do that, before you know it, you'll be right on the cusp of achieving your dream. Don't let fear be an obstacle to your dreams. Let it fuel you. Find the flow in it. It's a simple activity. It's not easy, but it is simple. And all you have to do is you have to find that oh shit moment. You have to identify it. You have to pursue it. And then you have to push just a little bit beyond your comfort zone to achieve it. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for joining me and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Flow Over Fear podcast. If you're enjoying this show, please do me a favor and hit the subscribe button. I will be so grateful if you do, and I'll look forward to bringing you more value in our next episode. I'll see you then.